Right, we're going to get right into the Word today. Today I want to talk about the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what I want to talk about. I've realized that what was going on in South Africa in the last week, when we look at all the riots, when we look at all the looting, thousands of businesses burnt, 106 to 170 malls that has been looted and burnt down. When we look at the weakness of the police and the uh, army in the beginning where they weren't really getting things done, well, later on they did. Uh, when we looked at all the negative things um, and then, and this is what I want to get at, and we then looked at what the answer to these problems was, the suggestions that came forth to what would be the solution to all these problems, I just realized that I have to preach this message of grace, the gospel, so powerful and so fearlessly as never before in my life. I just feel that the Lord has given me a mandate to really preach, to hammer, to nail down the message of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel of immortality, the gospel of eternal life like never before. Uh, and that is what I am going to do unashamedly. I'm going to preach it and those who grab it will experience the life of it. And I want to encourage you, like never before in your life, to open up your heart to say, Lord, it is about your grace. It's about your goodness. It's about your love for us manifested in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The answer to every person's business problem and how you feel about it, what it does to you in your heart, is a belief and a life born from the bodily raised Jesus and having a hope of immortality. That sounds as if these two things cannot come together. You know, what? I cannot get business for this week, or uh, I've lost my job, or those kind of things. How can a man that was raised from the dead 2,000 years ago, that promises me bodily resurrection, how can that change my life today? Now, I want you to know that it can and will and is the only answer that God has offered to any problem that there is in the world. When we've looked, and I want to just say these things straight out, when we've looked at the problems that there is in South Africa, I want to start out by saying that the problem in South Africa is not slavery. The problems we have today in South Africa is not because of slavery that took place in the 1800s and before that. It's not because of that. The problem is not Jan van Riebeek. That's not the problem. The problem, the, the reason why things are the way today is not because people are poor. The reason why things are going the way they are going is not because of rich people oppressing other people. The reason why things go the way they go is not because Zuma was corrupt. That is not the reason why people act the way they act and do what they do. That is not the reason. Church, uh, the, the reason why things go the way they go is not because land has not been distributed or because land was taken. That is not the reason. The reason why the world at large is in the condition it is right now is because of a lack of life. They lack the power of the resurrection in their lives. People are not born again from a lively hope. 
They don't understand the death, the burial, and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from where their intellect, their way of thinking, their logic is derived to the point that everything that they address is from the logic of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Every Christian, every preacher should know that the only answer to any problem in the world is Jesus being raised from the dead, believed upon, and when you believe upon him, you are believing that you shall have exactly the same as what he has, that you will inherit the earth, that he is the source of all life, and as you believe upon him, his spirit will come upon your flesh and start to glorify your flesh. And your flesh, which was subject to sin and death and decay and stress and worries and all those kind of things, will start to find the first signs of the illumination unto eternal life and fears will fall away from you. In our web pastor meeting that we've had, um, I think it was on Thursday, one of the web pastors said the following. She said that she was speaking to a lady from South Africa. Now, this uh, uh, web pastor is from Canada, and she was speaking to a lady from South Africa that lives in Johannesburg area. And that was an area where there was a lot of looting and all those kind of things. And in these difficult times, her daughter also came to her and said that, I want to commit suicide. You know what she said to her daughter? Now, this lady has been established in the good news of the resurrection. She's come to the place where her life, her logic, her reasoning, her understanding, her faith, her emotions, everything is born from the reality of Jesus raised from the dead and our resurrection and eternal life physically. She answered her daughter and she says, my daughter, I love you with everything in my heart. And if you do such a thing, we would really miss you. We would miss you. But Jesus will heal our hearts. And I just want to tell you, we don't fear death in this house. I'm not afraid of death, for God has given me life. Now, isn't that just an absolute shut up by the Holy Spirit to the voice of death in that house. That came because this lady understands what God has done in Jesus Christ. It's a life born that was the same as that which was possessed by the apostles where they could stand fearless in the threat of death, where they could have a life born from God. Glory to God. I want to just... Um, I just want to mention to you that in this past week, I've preached four messages on eternal life, which you need to watch. And that will, it will bless you. It will be, it will rejuvenate you. It will bring excitement to you. It will take fear away from you as you understand that everything is about the resurrection of Jesus, his rulership in the earth, heaven coming to earth, we living forever with God, that nothing can take anything away from us, that we've got eternal life. The answer to the world's problems, according to God's analogy, 
when he took everything into account on what was wrong in the world, is an empty grave. It's an empty grave. That's God's answer to the problems of the world. Now, you might, I mean, if we take politicians today, if we take medical doctors today, if we take uh, the wisest men in the world today, you will not find that one of them come to the solution that, uh, and comes to the knowledge through all their research that the only solution would be a man that's raised from the dead that can never die, who is all-loving, all-giving, absolutely generous, and that through him and under his rulership, as people believe and trust in him, that he grants life and immortality to all people. Nobody comes to that. I've never seen any scientist come to that conclusion. I've never seen any politician come to that conclusion. No, their conclusions and their results and their uh, ways of helping is new laws, new legislation, another thing that you must obey, strength of the police, strength of the army, and all those kind of things. Repentance of the past, trying to change your ways. That is how they try to solve the problems of the world. But you cannot solve the problems of the world that way. According to God. I want to tell you, the problem is not the present. The problem is not the legislation. The problem is not the right or the left. The problem is individuals need to be born again. Individuals need God. They need a life born from God. That is the truth. That is the truth. And when Jesus Christ appears, you, you and me and all people will have to acknowledge that what I was teaching to you today is the only truth and the only answer. If we read Ephesians 1, I want to read Ephesians 1. We just basically touched on Ephesians 3 in the introduction here. But let us go to Ephesians 1 and I'm going to read from verse 17. It says here, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your understanding can be enlightened, that you may know what the hope of his calling, the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints is that you may know what the exceeding greatness of his power to us word is who believe according to the working of his mighty power when he wrought which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at the right hand in heavenly places so what paul prays he says i pray that you may understand the resurrection of the physical human body and the hope of a physical human body that can never die that is what he's saying that you may know the power of the resurrection he's saying i pray that you will have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the knowledge of him is that he was raised from the dead and that you can have exactly the same body according to paul that was the answer under wicked Rome, which promised life. 
Do you know that the goddess Roma was, and, and the, the, the Caesars of that time were called the ones that was and is and is to come? They were called, uh, you know, the almighty God. They were called the savior of mankind. They were called that because they promised so much peace politically. They promised and they or, already gotten certain things right that all the people's logic was all about who's the next Caesar going to be. But here we find that the, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Paul comes and he says, I want your knowledge, your logic, your reasoning to be from the perspective of the resurrection, that when you see looting and rioting and all those kind of things, that you cannot be tossed to and fro by every wind of political noise or church deception, wherein you think that it is because of what people did in the past or this or that. No, the logic, according to God, is if people believe in Jesus, in the resurrection of Christ, and what it truly means, they will have a life that whilst they are in the deepest poverty, that they can even become generous because of the grace of God. Isn't that absolutely wonderful? Glory to God. I'm going to touch on one or two verses and um, basically recap on the previous four messages that I've preached in this week. And then we're going to get into the message that I have for you today. I want to go to Titus. This is just a key verse in the Bible to me. Remember the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You ask God, God, what's your Word on the solution for the problems of humanity? God has only got one Word. The Word that was from before the world began, before time began, that became flesh, that is seated at the right hand of God now. If you ask God, God, what is the solution to the problems of the world? He's not going to give you a political answer. I can promise you now. He's not going to say, uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa or the next president, or if you vote right, or any of that. He's not going to come with that. Neither is going to come with any message on how we need to try and correct the past. He's not going to come with that. He's going to point you to the future. He's going to point you to the empty grave of Jesus. He's going to point you to the man, Jesus, our Christ, seated at the right hand of God. He's going to point you to his rulership. He's going to tell you to believe upon him so that the spirit of his life can come on your flesh, so that your flesh can start to experience the glorification that you can be healed from death, man. <laughs> in you. He's going to say the problem of the world is death. That is the problem. That is the, this fruit that people bear is the fruit of death. The problem is not the fruit. The problem is why the fruit is there. The fruit is death. The, 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 the root is death. Mortality in the human body. That is the problem. The problem is people are dying. That is the problem. And they need to be born, born again from a new and lively hope. Like Peter says, we are born again from the hope that we will be bodily raised. That means we have a brand new life today from the hope of the resurrection. 
That is what it is all about. Glory to God. That is the answer according to the early church. That is the answer to God. And that is God's word on the matter. If you look at any problem, Lord, what about uh, the crime in South Africa? What about uh, the, if we take America, for instance, what about the stealing of votes that took place? God has only got one word. That is the resurrected Jesus Christ. That is God's word on it. What he's saying is, this man is Lord. As you believe upon him, he's all. He's your message about your future, man. God, what's your message about my future? The resurrected, glorified, bodily raised Jesus. Church, the problem that I see, and I don't want to preach about problems. I'm preaching about the answer, but I want to mention the problem as well. The problem that we have is, we as humans don't understand what we are, who we are, without God. We don't understand what a human being is. We don't understand that the problem is death. Death is not the problem to us. That's why we find that we think people are the problem. Death is the problem. That's why the solution is eternal life. Another problem is we think that we are spirits and that the Holy Spirit comes upon our spirits. And when the Holy Spirit come upon our spirit, we are now born again in our spirit. And when we are born again in our spirit, then we are okay in our spirit to go to heaven, offering no solution for the flesh wherein we dwell today, which is our reality today, which is our world today, which is the place wherein we live. Everything is physical. I mean, here I said there's a physical microphone, there is a physical Bible, there's a physical helium, our physical children. Even when our dog died, the physical dog died, and it had an effect on us. Where the world needs a solution is not in their spirits, which they think is already immortal. No, where the world needs a solution is the world needs life in the physical. That's where the world needs life. And that is the only solution that God has offered. It is life in the physical. It's life in the physical. An empty grave, God's answer to the problems of the world, is an empty grave, a glorified man or a resurrected man, and more than resurrection, a ascended on high Jesus Christ in which we can believe from where we have our hope, from where we have our understanding, which is our logic about everything. Which is our, when I look at the resurrected Jesus Christ, he is my logic about my son's business. When I look at uh, the resurrected Christ, he is my logic about my son, if, it, if next year he's going to study or not. He has the life of God, man. And that life is not somewhere in heaven, gone, not real. No, God's promise to my children, God's promise to me, God's promise to my wife, God's promise to each one of you is in the flesh. It is eternal life in the flesh. The threat 
of not having a job, the threat of not getting a sponsorship to go and study, the threat of not having a photo shoot, the threat of losing your job when you work, those threats have been rendered null and void through the inner knowledge of eternal life physically. The threat of not having a job, what's behind the message is, well, if you don't have a job, what's going to happen? You will not be able to make a living. Well, I'm not scared of not being able to make a living. I've come to the understanding that I cannot make a living anyway. An eternal living was promised to me from before the before time began and that eternal living was manifested it became flesh it was much more than just a promise of god it materialized we beheld it we the, the apostles 2000 years ago saw it touched it handled it felt it and testified of this eternal immortality that the father has promised they saw him more than 500 people saw him he was raised up into glory where he sat down at the right hand of the father not not to be in the world but from where he rules in this world over them that believes upon him that is, with that in mind and that being the truth in me, no message on you will not be able to, able to make a living, uh, a job or a business deal or something promising you a bit of making a living can have any voice anymore. Fear for my children not to have jobs. Fear for my children not to be able to go and study. Fear for that has been eliminated, ruled out of my life through the true knowledge of our eternal life that, ha that is not a spiritual thing, it's a physical thing. We must make the gospel much more physical. That's what we need to do. We need to understand spiritual doesn't mean not material. Spiritual simply means eternal source of life. A spiritual body is an eternal, is, is a physical body that has received a source of life that can never die. That is what the gospel is about. The gospel of Jesus Christ, friends, is not about where you go when you die. That's not the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the message that the eternal God has granted eternal life and immortality to physical human beings. That is the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. That is what it is all about. We can read Titus here. Listen to Titus 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. So what Paul says is he's an apostle for the purpose of furthering and strengthening the faith of God's elect and to give them true knowledge in the truth that leads to godliness. The truth there refers to the, re the reality that Jesus was really raised from the dead. It's true. It's not a lie. He says this furtherance of the knowledge and this furtherance of the faith is in the hope of eternal life, which God, which does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. And this promise before the beginning of, of time has before the beginning of time and which now at his appointed season he has brought to light 
through the preaching that is entrusted to me. So what he says is, listen, I, Paul, the apostle, and church, this is how we need to read the apostles' writings. This is how we need to read the New Testament, everything that Paul wrote. Paul felt that he was called to help the church to have greater knowledge, deeper understanding in the hope of bodily eternal life, bodily immortality, to have a, a furtherance of understanding, a greater understanding in that. He says that message, that that is what God has promised before the world began. That's what God promised Adam. God promised Adam that he said to Adam, Adam, I want you to eat of the tree of life. What would the tree of life be to Adam? It is belief that Jesus Christ would come, that a man would come after him, through whom bodily immortality would come to all. Because before the world began, God promised that through the man, Jesus, he would give eternal life to all people that believe upon him. Adam didn't believe that. He says, well, we don't need a man in the future to come to give us eternal life. We can right now have eternal life in ourselves by ourselves. We are eternal spirits that just live in bodies. We are eternal anyway. Why do we need uh, eternal life? Paul's gospels, Paul's letters, everything that he wrote was found in the fact that he saw a physical man raised from the dead that can never die on the way to Damascus. Everything is from there. From that truth he writes, from that truth he encourages, from that truth, and that truth he uses as his logic, his re reasoning, his understanding, his very intellect. Paul's intellect about everything. Paul's intellect about how a husband deals with his wife, how a wife ha uh, handles herself. Paul's intellect, his logic about everything is found, it is established, it is rooted in the fact that he saw an immortal, eternal, physical man, Jesus Christ, that did live on the earth while Paul lived when he was a teenager, when he was young. There was a man called Jesus going around in the temple that went to the temple, that disrupted the temple, that was throwing things around there, talking about his father's house and all of that. Paul definitely had knowledge about Jesus, I believe, according to my opinion. When Jesus lived on the earth in Jerusalem, he was Jesus was a big deal back then. Paul had to know about that. Then he heard that he was crucified, and then Paul said, yeah, you know, that uh, charlatan is now killed, and glory to God that he is killed now. We as Pharisees can continue. And then he thought that Jesus was dead. He continued on his way to end this lie that Jesus was raised, and all of a sudden, his theology was interrupted by Jesus appearing to him on the way to Damascus. And from that truth, he preached everything. That was his understanding. And his conclusion was that if you persecute that physical man, Jesus, if you persecute the physical church, you're persecuting that physical man because Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? And from that logic, Paul made the conclusion that if Jesus was raised the way he was raised, these physical people must be his body in whom he lives and they shall be bodily immortal as what he is. 
he concluded that this resurrected Christ has therefore broken the power of Rome. Rome's power was that they could have the threat of death. They had the sword. They killed people. But they used all their force, all their might on Jesus, and he just rose from the dead. By that, declaring that he's greater than Rome, he's greater than any government, he's greater than any authority. He is the authority. That is who he is. And by faith in him, we can have eternal life. Glory to God. That, that is what every Luther need to hear, and not just hear. That's what they need to believe. And then after believing that, they need to be trained and understand it and have a life born from it. That's the solution. This is the message that Cyril Ramaphosa, that Jacob Zuma, the children, um, this is the message that uh, Julius Malema, this is the message that not just them, but church leaders need to know and believe and have a life born from. This is it. This will change people's lives. It is God's answer. It is God's solution. The problem with this message that I preach now is that it sounds far-fetched. It sounds as if it cannot uh, change things. It sounds as if we need another solution. But how doesn't matter how ridiculous it sounds. Even in the scriptures, this whole message that it is far-fetched or sounds far-fetched is recorded. The Bible says to those who are perishing, what I've just been preaching to you is called foolishness. But to us who believe, <laughs> it is the power of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. I hope you can see that you can be consumed by this message. Glory to God. You can be consumed by this message. Paul says in Titus here, he says, I'm in the hope of eternal life, which God, which cannot lie, promised before the world began. Listen to this, 1 Timothy 1.9, who has saved us, talks about being saved. He says, this Jesus has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ before the world began. Okay, so eternal life. What is eternal life? Eternal life is not where your spirit goes to heaven and where you're going to live one day uh, in your mansion through the bricks you've sent to heaven by the good works that you've done on the earth. I remember the time when it was like, you know, every good work you do is a brick you send to heaven and you're going to, God is building a mansion there for you. No, no, no. God is not building a mansion for you in heaven. God is building a mansion on earth and you are a living stone his temple, and his dwelling place is earth, this physical planet. That's why the Bible says the meek shall, meek shall inherit the earth. Glory to God. That's what it's about. And we will have the fullness of the Godhead bodily manifesting in us, and that is what is called God is all in all. It says here, 2 Timothy 1.9, who has saved us, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us, 
When was this given to us? And how was it given us? It was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. That means before the world began, God promised bodily eternal life in the man, Jesus, our Christ. He says, but that promise that was before the world began is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death. What is the problem with uh, people in the world? What is the problem of South Africa? What is the problem with America? Listen, if anybody tells you Joe Biden is the problem in America, they have lied. If Christians tell you that, they say Joe Biden is the problem in America, they've lied to you. They're deceiving you. They are self-deceived. They don't know the gospel. They don't have the logic that the apostle Paul had. They don't have the logic of God. Neither do they have the word of God in their mouths. Neither are they familiar with the word of God. They need to repent, accept Jesus Christ as Lord, as pertaining to the manifestation of eternal life in the flesh. They need to understand the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The problem is not the Joe Biden. The problem is also not Donald Trump. The problem is death, man. That is the problem. Jesus Christ, here it says. Listen, here it says. I'm going to read it to you again. 2 Timothy 1.10 But it is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality as the revelation, as the mystery that's been revealed through the gospel. So what comes to light through the gospel? Life and immortality. What is immortality? Immortality is not where your spirit goes when you die. No, immortality is what happened to Jesus when he was raised from the dead. When he bodily doesn't die and live forever in the flesh, where there's no occasion of stumbling in his flesh, for his flesh has been glorified and his flesh is not seeking life anymore. His flesh now has become a source of life. From where our flesh can derive life or get life and so be in the very same place where we are not living or having an existence where we try to conquer death, where we know we can live forevermore. This that I mentioned to you now is called the grace of God. The grace of God is the free will by which God has decided to give people life and immortality by his doing. And it is the power wherewith he brings it forth. That is the gospel of God's grace. The gospel of grace is not that God is not angry anymore. Since the gospel predates time, the, the gospel cannot be about God not being angry anymore. Because the promise, the gospel, was before time began. So how can there be a gospel if there has never been any sin or transgression? If that gospel is 
about God not being angry at sin, it doesn't make sense. Because according to the definition of grace that most of us have is that God is not uh, going to punish me for my sin or God is not angry anymore or is not by the law anymore or something like that. If that is our definition of grace, it means that sin had to exist. Human sin had to exist prior to the creation of man and it doesn't make sense. The gospel is not that God is not angry anymore. The gospel is a is a message that a God who is not angry, who is all loving, who is so abundant in eternal life and generous about it, has decided to bring humans forth and to give them life and immortality. So the, what has to come to light through the gospel, if the true message is preached, is life and immortality. That your body will never die. It might sleep in the dust for a while, but it will wake. It's called just a sleep. It's not even called death itself. Paul called it taking a nap. That's what he called it. If you tell me today, Bertie, this afternoon you're going to take a nap between 3 and 3.15 p.m., just a power nap. I'm not scared. Neither am I threatened by it. Neither am I today going to have my life ordained and everything I do by the fear of taking a 15-minute nap. No. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to continue to live. And that is how Paul saw death. He saw it as a sleep where you die, but you wake up and continue in a body that can never die above sin and death. It is a real power nap. You have now been refreshed. You've been revitalized with the life of the Almighty God. That is the message that politicians need and that is the message the church need. It is not in the church. It's not preached. Go on YouTube and try and find a message on what I teach you today. You're going to struggle. You're going to find here and there people that believe it, but they're going to have an imbalance and they're going to say, you must be immortal today. Just work up enough faith and you'll become immortal today. Not preaching immortality as a hope, but preaching a work again unto it. Destroying themselves and others. This message that I preached to you today, I don't say nobody else preached it, but it is very rare. It's very rare. And I just feel that we're going to hammer this, we're going to preach this. And those of you that listen to this message, who is encouraged by this message, take the boldness, take the power, Share the link. Tell people about it. Make it your own. Uh, uh, let it grab you. Let it become, you, become your logic. Let it become your intellect. Let it become the very power from where you live. Let us go to Second Timothy. How long have I preached altogether? 40 minutes, okay. Um, I mean, guys, you don't have to drive to church. You don't have to drive back. Just enjoy. We use a bit of extra time. What do you say? And we just, you listen, you've got eternity. <laughs> time is not short. Glory to God. Let's enjoy the message. And if you have to go, you can watch this later on YouTube. First, Let us first go to 2 Timothy. And we're going to look at 
Second Timothy 2, verse 8. And we're going to hear what Paul says the gospel is. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descendant from David. This is my gospel. <laughs> I mean, it's not even a long verse. Remember Jesus Christ. Now he's talking about the resurrected Jesus. Whenever it says Jesus Christ, it refers to the man that was died and became the Christ and now rules. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead and he was a descendant of David. So what he's simply saying is he fulfilled the prophecies, the descendant of David. He's the one that God talked about. He came as a physical man and that he was raised from the dead. That's his gospel. Didn't even mention the cross. I'm not saying you don't have to preach the cross. I'm not saying that you cannot preach the resurrection without the cross <laughs> because the man had to die. But it's not about the cross. It's about the resurrection. That's what it about, is about and the ascension. And he says, for this gospel, I am suffering even to, to the point of being chained like a criminal. May, amazing. He's preaching, he says, my gospel is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Hallelujah. That is the gospel. And if the gospel is the answer, the message that Jesus was raised from the dead and what it means is the solution to all the problems that there is in the world today. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm just laying the foundation for today's message still. 1 Corinthians 15, it says here, Now, brothers and sisters, you're going to just hear this beautiful wording of the NIV here. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Very serious about this. For what I received, I pass unto you as of first importance. So he says what he received, this was on the way to Damascus as well as from other disciples on what happened about Jesus. He says, for what I received, I passed unto you as a matter of first importance. This is the most important thing. This is the most important thing. If you as a preacher think the problem is a political party. If you as, as a preacher think the problem is people in some way, you have not understood the gospel. If that is what you tell people, if that is what you are spreading and you offer solutions other than the gospel, you're busy with what is temporal, that will pass away, that's got no lasting effect, that cannot set people free. It's got a, it's got a show of wisdom, but it's not have got any power unto satisfying mortal flesh that is screaming for life with life. If we can realize that the problem of humanity is mortality, the problem of humanity is mortality, and that God is the only immortal, and that he has promised immortality to humanity, and that he has come and brought it now to light 
through the gospel, which Paul declares as the resurrection of Jesus, if we as preachers believe that, we will find the world change. So the gospel is what is of first importance. And what is of first importance? What is the most important thing that there is? Let me read it. For what I've received, I passed unto you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was physically buried and that he was physically raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is first importance. That's first importance. That doesn't mean you you preach it once a year and we just in theory say it is the most important thing. Yes, the cross, the death, the resurrection, the resurrection. That's the most important thing. That is first importance. It's the first importance. Then everybody in the church, yay, or you, hallelujah, first importance. Okay, now we finished with that now. Let's get to the weightier matters on what we need to do to solve the problem that we have. You've missed it right there. Of first importance, that means that 90% of everything you do, whatever you do, whatever you reason, whatever solution you come with, is found on this, based on this, preached from this, reminding people of this. This is first importance. Greatest importance is this. It must be in our, in our pulpit every Sunday. Paul didn't write a letter without mentioning this. Not just not mentioning it. He starts his letters, grace to you. Paul's understanding of grace was the powerful influence of God to bring immortality to humans. I don't have time now to go back to that, but that is what he's, we've read it today. His grace was revealed. His grace was manifested. That which was promised before the world began, this gospel of grace came forth, which is life and immortality. That is the grace gospel. When Paul comes and he greets them and he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is immortality is in the Almighty Father and in His Son Jesus. And we have seen His resurrection, believed upon Him and our fellowship is in eternal life. That's where we fellowship. We fellowship around the reality of immortality where our flesh, the death of our flesh, the sin of our flesh has been conquered where we in our bodies as humans can have eternal life being set free from sin and death. We shall not be, the Bible says in Romans 6, 14, we shall not continue to sin for we are not under the law, but we are under grace. Because what is grace? It's the recreation of the physical flesh into something that can never die or sin by the doing of God. And we who believe upon this, we sit there in fellowship of eternal life with the Father and with our Son and with His Son. And we are preaching this, John says in 1 John, so that your so that our joy and your joy can be full and that your fellowship can be with us. Fellowship is not about drinking coffee, my goodness. Fellowship is not coming about coming to church and singing worship songs. Fellowship is not coming together talking about Jesus. Fellowship is in the eternal life of God 
and in a life where it's known, discussed, spoken about, where we co-share in the life of Jesus the resurrected, which he brings to our bodies today by his spirit that is poured out on us. Mm. This is of first importance. What is of first importance? The fact that there's a physical empty grave. Let that be on your lips every day. Let that be the logic from where we reason. Glory to God. When I speak to my wife when we drive in the car, when I look at a bad news report, I say to my wife, we have eternal life, glory to God. And this is a threat on, what we might hear is a threat on our possessions and a threat on this and a threat on that. The Bible says a man's life does not consist out of the abundance of his possessions. Glory to God. That scripture was quoted by somebody, was quoted by Jesus to somebody who went to Jesus complaining that his brother got more of an inheritance than him. That his brother got everything and he got nothing. That sounds unfair. Then he was poor and the brother was rich. So they went to Jesus and he said to Jesus, Jesus, tell my brother that he must share the inheritance with me. And Jesus said to the poor man, watch out for covetousness. A man's life is not found in the abundance of his possessions. My goodness, glory to God for the truth. What the next question would be, where is life then found? In the fact that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, that he lives eternally, that he is immortal and grants eternal life for you. Why would that brother want the more money all of a sudden? It's because he was lacking life in his heart and he found that life is from my possessions. That's why this became such a massive issue to the dude. And Jesus, with the logic of bodily eternal life from him, through him, by the promise of the Father, answered the man and gave him the correct answer. And that is the answer. I want to tell you now, people who come and complain and say, well, you know, we were slaves long ago and now we need things need to be returned to us because that is justice. That is not justice. It would be good if you can have back. It would be good if, you, if, if people can willfully come without violence and whatever and they can give land back. And even if land is taken by violence, I don't even want to say if that's good or bad. My life is not by my, in my possessions, man, on the abundance of it. It's not. It would be good. Do those things if you want. But let me tell you something. If you would come to Jesus today, if he walked on this earth, and you would say, Father Jesus, I want to tell you, this man's father took my father's land. Tell him to give the land back to me. Do you know what Jesus would say? He would say, watch out for covetousness, for your life is not found in that property. Your life is found in me who grants unto your flesh, which thinks that it's going to die and not live. Your, your, your life is in me that will grant unto your flesh that think it will die and not live eternal life. Believe upon me. And as the moment you believe, you find the spirit of life of Christ poured out on your flesh and your fears and your turmoils 
are removed. Should this spirit also fall on the life of the man whose father has taken the land, he will also not have fear. And I find that you'll find a fruit of the spirit that can take place where a restitution, I don't even want to use the word restitution, but just a generosity can take place. Another thing I want to say, you cannot live by the generosity of others. You cannot live by the fruit of the Spirit in my life or in the life of anybody. You can only live by God. So you cannot. I remember there was times in my life when I was in the ministry uh, in the beginning days when my life was financially, I was hoping for people to bear the fruit of generosity so that I can live. No, that's not like that anymore. I cannot live by the fruit of the Spirit that someone else has. The fruit of the Spirit that someone else has can be a light unto me to point me to the Spirit. But we cannot find life. Church, we need to teach our people that they cannot, rich and poor, we need to teach our people, Africa, South Africa, America, Canada, Europe, and if I'm thinking now, especially in South Africa, we need to teach our people in the poorest of churches. This message is a solution. Teach the people that they cannot wait for people to grant them something physically in this world before they can start to live. Their life is in Christ. Let, let them have joy now by God. If it happens that land is distributed and all those kind of things, well, thank God for a piece of land. But that's not adding to my joy. That's not giving me life. That's not giving me... You need to hammer that from your pulpits. Hammer the gospel. Preach the gospel of eternal life. So Paul says, of first importance... So when you want to talk about solving the problems of your country, church, of first importance is the message of the resurrection. <laughs> I don't see that as first importance from most people. Uh, it sounds to me as if, it's not as if light and life and immortality has now come to light. It is as if people think we must bring the, 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 the wisdom of the world, what people have done wrong, unto light. Do you know what this person has done wrong again? Do you know what they've done here? Do you know what they've done there? Look how evil. Let's expose the evil. Let's not expose the evil. Let's expose the gospel. Let's preach the gospel of Jesus. man. Glory to God. I, I think I have to end off. How long have I preached? 55. If I say I'm going to end off, it just means nothing. Um, Acts 13, 28. I cannot, I can say this very, in a very short message, and this is it. Jesus was raised from the dead, and he is Lord. Amen. That's the, that's the whole gospel. Jesus Christ, descendant of David, was raised from the dead. That is the whole gospel. I can say that. And that would be enough. I don't have to preach any longer than that. That is the whole gospel. But let us talk about it. Let's explain it. Let's come to a place of understanding. I want to just say to parents, listen, as parents, teach your children this gospel as of first importance. Don't tell your child, 
of first importance is where you live, what car you drive, to go on holidays. That's not of first importance. To you as parent, let this be of first importance, man. To the point that you are consumed by it. Then your mouth and your heart filled with this. You teach this to your children from small. Teach them the resurrection. Teach them Jesus Christ as Lord. Teach them that what the people do in government and those kind of things, that's nothing. The, the true life is from God. Teach them that your life is not in the abundance of your possessions. Not just once, but as a matter of first importance, born from the gospel that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Teach it as a matter of first importance. Let it be your logic with your children. Let it be the logic in your marriage. That's the most important thing if you want to do something to do. What you can do is stand under the glory of God's resurrection in Christ and let that become your logic and your reasoning and let it be the answer to everything to your child all the time. That is it. But that sounds like a fanatic. No, that is being consumed by the life of God. Hallelujah. But dad, you know, they've mocked me at school and those kind of things. Son, we will go and sort that out. I'll go and talk to them about it. But let me tell you something. There will always be a mocker. There will always be somebody that bullies you. There will always be somebody that is that does that but your life is not found in what he does your life is not found if in in people's acceptance your life is found in the resurrected jesus christ and then you love on your child and you bring him scriptures man you know we as parents we're not stupid a lot of us that's watching me today you've got degrees you've got a uh, a uh, uh, many people have got You've worked jobs for years. You've got degrees and all those kind of things. Use that brain of yours. Use that intellect of yours. Memorize a few scriptures. Think of the gospel of God's life. Let it be that which is in your heart of first importance. Hallelujah. It's not a sin. It's not a law, you know, that's going to kill you if you think of the gospel of Jesus and knowing it and understanding it. And I wanted to go to Acts 13.28. Acts 13.28. Here it is. If you are with your kids on your property, wherever you are, tell them, thank God that we can live here, but our life is not in the abundance of our possessions. And if all of this is taken away from us by the government, we will be as happy as always. For... Our life is in, and our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son. And I want to tell you, if you take away a piece of land right now from me, Jesus is not going to have less life. My fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, not in our property, but in the fact that immortality has come to life and to light. Glory to God. Acts 13, 28. I'll end off with this. Sorry, it's 38, not 28, 38. You can do 28 to 34 as well, but let's just do from, from 38 there. It says, Now, when David has served God's purpose in his own generation, 
he died. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see corruption. The problem with a world that is corrupt is corruption. So what is the solution? Incorruptibility. Eternal life. That's the solution. It says, but Jesus, who was raised from the dead, saw no decay. Verse 38. Therefore, therefore, whenever you see a therefore, ask yourself why it's therefore. Therefore, my friend, because he sees no decay in his physical body, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins in our physical bodies, the deliverance from fear, the deliverance from uh, looting, the deliverance from abusing the poor, is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from sin. A justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Okay. <laughs> what is he saying? He's saying the fact that Jesus' flesh cannot die anymore means that what the law could not do in setting you free from death, Jesus Christ now has come to do to set you free from death. We ask ourselves the question, why do people break things? Why do people do what they do? Why do people live lives of sin and devastation and so forth? Imagine you have a car that seals tight, a nice car. You've got a nice Mercedes-Benz or a BMW or something good, Lexus or so, that seals. I mean, if you close that door, it's just quiet. It's almost like soundproof. Close that thing's doors. When those windows are turned up, you sit in there, you listen to the radio, you are completely at peace. Let me tell you, if I tell you, once you've closed that, those windows, that those windows cannot open and the doors will stay locked, the first thing that will come to your mind is that you're going to suffocate. Even if you can live another four hours in that vehicle, you will feel that you're going to suffocate and that you're going to die. And immediately you'll be conscious of a lack of life. You will start to break things. You're going to start to break your car. Why? Why will you start to break things? Why will your, your actions be irrational? Why will you start to use the things in the car not for what it's made for? Why will you start all of a sudden be on the back seat? Why will you all of a sudden start kicking the window and those kind of things? Why will you do that? While you still have a lot of oxygen, why you can still live many, many hours there, why will you do that? It's because of a lack of life. Because of a lack of life. What you would want you would never act like that if you know the window can open anytime you press the button and you can have fresh air come in and you can continue to live. The reason why people do what they do in this world is because of a lack 
of life. They don't have the gospel. They don't know the gospel or they don't believe the gospel. Those who have heard about the gospel, maybe believe the gospel, need understanding based in the gospel. That is what they do. They need it as a logic and a truth. We have a very good Lord that rules over us forevermore. He is Jesus. You know what? I wanted to preach from Hebrews 7. That was literally my first scripture that I wanted to use, but I didn't get to it. So we will leave that then for next Sunday if I don't jump on that on Monday and preach it. You are deeply loved by God. You have got the hope of eternal life. You are his. Abundance of joy is yours because life and immortality has come to light. The Bible says in Romans, it says those who seek glory, honor, and immortality, to them will be given eternal life. So what was it? What is it that God wants us to seek? If you seek immortality, that means you're seeking the kingdom of God. First seek the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Immortality in human flesh. Through Jesus that has come to us. And all these things, talking about a house and place to stay and a job and food and clothes and all those things shall be added unto you anyway. But seek that. Seek understanding in that. Glory to God. Eternal life is yours, friends. You are deeply loved by God. Amen. Let us pray together. Father, if I think of 1 Corinthians 15, where the gospel is of utmost importance, the message of the resurrection. If I think of Paul saying that Jesus was raised from the dead, a descendant of David, and th this is my gospel. It is so simple. If I think of the promise that was before the world began, we cannot but rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus the way Paul and the apostles rejoiced in it. Thank you, Lord, when we think of our fellowship, that it is inside eternal life. We cannot but experience that life. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit is poured out on flesh, that as life is in the blood, we find that your spirit start to flow in our veins and bring glorification to our physical bodies. The fear of death disappears in our revelation of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, that you remove this Gnostic mentality where we think that it is only about where our spirits go. Thank you, Lord, that you've come to make bring the realization that it's not about our spirits. It's about humans living forever in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you that we can boldly speak these truths. I pray for the church. Thank you that leaders will have the boldness and the strength in the inner man to walk in the gospel and preach it. Thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. We pray for people in high places. We pray for our leaders and we say that we welcome the rulership of the kingdom of God over them. They are not bad. They are you died for them, Jesus. You rose for them, and they are welcome. We don't discriminate against them. They are loved by you. And thank you, Lord, that we see them also as people valuable, worthy to be died, to die, worthy of your death and resurrection. And life is also theirs by yours. Therefore, we will boldly proclaim this truth even unto them. Thank you for your life, God. Amen and amen. Thank you so much that you've watched this message and that I could serve you with the good news of Jesus Christ today. 
I would like to just welcome everybody to the sh- uh, sh- uh, small groups that we're going to have uh, after this. So if you want to just fellowship with somebody about this gospel, please do so. Just stay online on Zoom and you'll be divided into different groups where you can discuss this message, having fellowship in life. This message will also be streamed on YouTube uh, later today. Share it with some people as you feel to do so. And also, if you feel to do it, just give a thumbs up on Facebook or on YouTube. Thank you so much. God bless.